0: this episode of the abz football podcast is sponsored by mary Couter house steeped in history and the home of hospitality in the northeast since 1225 mary Couter house is an ideal base for anyone exploring the area taking part in the northeast 250 or looking to visit the plentiful distilleries castles and landmarks of aberdeen and the shire many of which are located a short drive from the site for anyone looking to escape the humdrum of everyday life, Mary Couture House offers a wide variety of quality, seasonal, local cuisine, an array of Scottish tipples, and of course, a warm Aberdonian welcome. All Aberdeen Football Club season ticket holders can benefit from a 10% discount on all overnight stays. Simply use the promo code AFC when making your booking. To find out more, or make your booking, please visit marycooterhouse.com. Slater foot
1: there. Fukushima! Fukushima!
0: Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 24 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and joining me this week it's Gavin Baxter. Gavin, how's it going?
2: All good, thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to the listeners. Had it not been for a Lewis Ferguson winner, I'd probably be more irate than Ray Bradshaw to find out Gary Caldwell's working in Scottish football again. But we got the winner. All good.
0: <laughs> yeah we'll come on to that Merry Christmas and as Gav says Merry Christmas to all of our listeners and to the 127 of you who decided to welcome us into your homes on Christmas day and um, I don't really what to say about that other than we hope that we were able to provide you with some company comfort whatever it might have been the reason you are listening to us we appreciate it anyway we appreciate all of our listeners joining us since we started this up uh, 24 episodes ago great stuff now with the news last week that the winter break has been brought forward to after today's Boxing Day fixture against Dundee, our show has had more reshuffles than a Sintman inside during a COVID outbreak, so we'll cast our eyes back over the recent doubleheader against Hibs and Dundee before we take our regular look at our loanees. And in part two, instead of looking ahead to a pair of fixtures against Rangers in Ross County, we'll enter part one of our mid-season review for the Dons by looking at our summer recruitment in more detail and give you our thoughts on the successes, the failures, and those who the jury very much remains out on. But first, Hibs won Aberdeen nil, 22nd of December 2021, the SPFL Premiership at Easter Road. And fresh off the news that the winter break was going to be brought forward, the Dons travelled to Easter Road in good spirits in the wake of three wins on the spin to face a Hibs side who were under the tutelage of new manager Sean Maloney for the first time, still smarting from their defeat in the League Cup final to Celtic a couple of days prior. Two changes for the Dons from last time out against St Johnston. Scott Brown missing out with suspected COVID and Ross McCrory suspended, meaning that Dean Campbell and Declan Gallagher came into the starting 11. Calvin Ramsey and Niall McGinn making their way back to the bench. And truth be told... Little really to talk about in this game as a whole. The Don's probably dominating the first half, but creating very little in the way of clear cut chances. A couple of long range efforts from Campbell and Ferguson, the closest to Don's, came while Hibbs had the best chance of the half. Nisbet heading over when it seemed easier to score. But it was a fairly lethargic and uninspiring first half from both sides. Calvin Ramsay made his return to the team, replacing Jet at half time, and the home side should have been down to 10 men within five minutes of the restart. Xander Porteous with a kick out at Ramirez is nuts, completely missed by referee Alan Muir despite looking straight at it. Presumably, a new guide dog on Muir's Christmas gift list. The Dons then suffered an element of double jeopardy, Porteous rising unmarked at a corner kick on 63 minutes to nod home, a culmination of a poor five minute spell from Declan Gallagher, who lost his player here as well. Watkins should have equalized on 75 minutes. A decent cross from Ramirez found the Welshman unmarked eight yards out, but instead of nodding the ball back across the goal, he headed straight at Macy who panned the ball around the post for a corner. The game then petered out with the Dons having plenty of possession, but creating little in the way of chances to see the Dons slip to seventh in the table as of Wednesday evening. Gavin, your thoughts on Wednesday's visit to Easter Road?
2: To be honest, I didn't see it. I wasn't there. Um, So I'm going on highlights here, of which there are very few, but my overall feeling is one of disappointment. We spoke last week uh, confidently about going down there and getting a positive result. New manager bounced, take that into account, sure, but uh, disappointing. we've come away with uh, nothing to show.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that there's a couple of big talking points, I guess, we just need maybe to quickly talk about. There was, I guess... A lot of people were very confused, I think, by the halftime withdrawal of Jet for Calvin Ramsey. I think a lot of people at the time probably felt that Jet probably deserved at least another fifteen minutes to go anyway in the game to see how he was going. He was doing okay. It was a kind of very typical Jet performance from him. Um some good hold up play, some, you know, some good passing, moving the ball, you know, around players quite well, very little cutting edge though. So. And it didn't really feel to me that we were really it wasn't as though we were being Cut open or really threatened down our right-hand side defensively. There was a couple of times hebs overloaded, but I couldn't see a real justification for bringing Ramsey on at that point. Um, it's fair to say that Ramsey, certainly for the opening thirty minutes of the second half, looked like a guy who hasn't played football for a while. Um, that's just natural, I think. He then did start to kind of grow into the game as we were chasing the equaliser. So there was, there was, I think, a lot of confusion about that particular substitution. The Portis incident with Ramirez is probably the biggest talking point of the game, I think, as far as we're concerned. I, I believe that the SFA are now looking at that and potentially there might be a notice of complaint or a, a retrospective ban coming for Portis on that one. But again, it's one of these things. It's not helped when a referee's looking straight at that and does absolutely nothing about it.
2: Yeah, and retrospective action is all well and good, but it doesn't really help us. Um, frustrating, very Frustrating. If only this was the first time we were talking about bad refereeing decisions or bad substitutions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the, um, the biggest talking point from an Aberdeen perspective is probably the performance of Declan Gallagher, I think. He had a real mad five-minute spell that, as we just touched on in the review of the game itself, that culminated in um, him losing Porteous at the corner kick. Questions out, still out there. It was also Gallagher came in because Ross McCurdy was suspended. It was a great opportunity for Gallagher to come in and really stake a claim to be part of the first the, the first team setup in the starting lineup, and I I don't really feel like he really took that.
2: We'll talk about Declan Gallagher in more detail in the second half of the show, but I saw you tweeted this because I didn't, and I don't think Graham's taken to Twitter yet, but I think you mentioned that you think. Gallagher may well not be a Stephen Glass signing. And what I'd say to that is there was like a five or six week overlap between Glass being appointed or announced and then Gallagher signing. So Glass had the opportunity to veto this, surely. Chose not to, so he's gonna take some responsibility. Um his performances have been very underwhelming, I think. And that's maybe in part because I'm not convinced he's a defender that fits in with the style we want to play. But then the kind of defender do you think he is, defending, taking care of cross balls, even then he's been pretty disappointing and that's cost us against Hibbs.
0: Yeah, I think it was a a weird one. There was a five-minute spell. There was was a a free kick on the near touchline that Ramsey and Gallagher made a complete... I was, arse of. I was going to use a much stronger expletive, but we might keep that for the second part of the show, especially once a little bit more drink has flowed. Um, they made a complete arse of this free kick. It was a really bog standard free kick. It was just like on the touch on the touch line, 5-10 yards away from the halfway line, in our half. Don't know what they were doing. Completely made an arse of it. And it seemed to spook Gallagher. Gallagher was fairly comfortable, I felt, actually, throughout much of the game and until this point. Then there was a cross ball that came in, and it probably is a foul on Gallagher. I think it was. It might be Nisbet. I can't remember exactly who it was. Kind of came through the back of him a little bit. Gallagher nods it out for the for the corner kick that the goal eventually comes from. There was a lot of complaining from Gallagher going on to the referee at the point that point about it, how it should have been a free kick. I think it probably was a free kick. Although I'm probably being biased about that because I'm an Aberdeen fan. But it almost appeared as though like he'd totally taken his mind off the game at that point. He's nowhere near Porteous on the goal. It's clearly his man. Um, it's a real really bad goal to lose and like you say Gav it's the thing that you'd be expecting Declan Gallagher to be doing well at I think even I've said since the start of the season again like you say we'll touch on the summer recruitment in more detail in part two the show but I've kind of felt that Declan Gallagher's strengths as a player were going to be as a penalty box defender and that was a great example where that just didn't bear fruit at all and it's really disappointing like you say you go to hebs hebs are actually are on a good run of form at the moment um which is bizarre they, they you know we all think they're in the doldrums but with the exception of the league cup final i think they're now unbeaten i think in their last the last four or five anyway they've got three wins on the spin in the league i think um maybe a bit the new manager banks i mean i didn't see anything from hebs that really concerned me it was a very passive very lethargic performance by both teams to be expected, I think, from Hibs, that was their fourth game in 10 days, two weeks, something like that. Um, so from our perspective, very disappointing. We went in very, very fresh, or should have gone in very, very fresh to that game. We looked really leggy. Didn't really have any kind of creativity around us. A couple of long-range efforts at the goalkeeper was all we really mustered. There was a good chance for Watkins in the second half, but I think I did speak about this on Twitter as well on in, in the aftermath, that for me, we have a front four um, in, in Jet, Watkins, Hedges and Ramirez who when they're all firing we look good and we're dangerous when none of them are firing we're really toothless and part of the problem is and I always think in a lot of teams who have a four like that or a three okay maybe one might be off his game but the other two will step in and they'll be on it that game we seem to be either all four are on it at all the same time or none of them are on it like, we never seem to get this kind of 50-50 mix or somebody's really sticking up. And that really happened for me, I think, on Wednesday night.
2: Yeah, I think it go back to, like, peak Derek McInnes era, where you've got Adam Rooney, Johnny Hayes, McGinn, you know, Peter Pollitt, Christy, Madison, take your pick. If maybe one of them's not, you know, firing on all cylinders, the other three will carry it, and we've got other threats coming from other areas of the pitch. I think... Um, I think you're right with the four. I mean, Ramirez, we know what he's good at. We know that he's a very instinctive penalty box striker, but I do think that he has to find a way to improve his game outside of the box when maybe those chances are not coming as freely as he would like. Um, Watkins has been a little bit off the boil as of late. Ryan Hedges is we know what he is. He's a pretty hot and cold player at the best of times. And Jet is the enigma, of course. So yeah, that consistency is something we need to find, whether that's on the training ground, in the system or new personnel in January.
0: Yeah. So we'll move on to that minute. Just for me, Wednesday night was a real disappointing loss of points. I think that Hibs didn't really offer much, I didn't really think, across the 90 minutes. We kind of get done by a slack piece of defending. Where we said that before this season? We didn't really create much either. It had 0-0 written all over at that game. Uh, just disappointing that our little mini run of games where we'd won, had, had kind of come to an end. If we'd even come away from that with a 0-0 draw, I think we would have all gone all right. Kind of fair enough.
2: I mean, remind me, all the chat about COVID restrictions or whatever you want to call it, that was announced before Wednesday, right?
0: It came out on Wednesday. Well, the the chat about the restricted crowds came out on the Tuesday, I think, and then it was the Wednesday night just before we kicked off that they announced about the winter break coming forward came out.
2: Yeah, so with that being said, you'd be hoping that we'd look at it two games before the break. Let's go at it. Let's bring a lot of energy and intent to our game, and that's just not what happened. And from what I can gather from the reports, the highlights, we made life pretty easy for Hibs, and that's disappointing.
0: Definitely. Let's move on. Aberdeen two, Dundee 1, twenty-sixth of December, twenty twenty. One Stadium in the SPFL Premiership. Three changes for the Dons with Ross McCrory, Terry Jenks, and Calvin Ramsey making their way back into the starting lineup, replacing Declan Gallagher, Jett, and Dean Campbell, with Scott Brown still missing out. Joe Lewis making his 250th appearance for the Dons needs just three more to break into the all-time top 15. All the talk pre-match was surrounding the visitors who travelled north with only 14 available players, three of who were goalkeepers, following a COVID outbreak in the squad. They requested the SPFL for the game to be postponed, falling on deaf ears. So Dundee's bench of four contained assistant manager Dave Mackay, who'd been registered as a player for the afternoon. Still, though, a relatively strong-looking Dundee side took to the field. And it was the visitors' who got off to the perfect start, a soft free kick given against McCrory for an innocuous-looking nudge on Griffiths. And it was Dundee's number 29 who picked himself up to smash a beastly 30-yard free kick high into Joe Lewis's top right-hand corner. The Dons reacted quickly, though neat interplay between Jenks and Ryan Hedges allowed the Welshman to make his way into the box and his right-footed shot hit the goalkeeper and nestled high into the back of the net. And after that, very little to talk about the Dons having the majority of the play, but failing to really create anything anything of note. And the team's waiting at the break tied at a goal apiece. And into the second half, the Dons came out with a tempo up and there were penalty appeals galore as a Ramirez header seemed to strike a blue-shirted player on the arm, but nothing doing. Just before the hour mark, Conor McLennan replacing Teddy Jenks before Marley Watkins succumbed to injury on 69 minutes, replaced by Niall McGinn. Truth be told, this was a game going nowhere fast. Before, out of nowhere, a nice header by Ramirez on the halfway line. Found McGinn, passed the ball out to and His pull back across the goal was behind Ramirez, but the American managed to nudge the ball into the path of Ferguson, who smashed a fine shot back across goal, nestling into the far corner to put the Dons a goal to the good. Ross McCrory should have sealed the points on 77 minutes. A Ramsey free kick half cleared, and the big man's chest and volley flew high over the bar. Ramsey made way for Campbell on 81 minutes. King Ojo dropping to right back to see out the remainder of the game. And he did well to acrobatically clear a Dundee effort that looked goal-bound with a couple of minutes to go. And that was that. The Don saw out, ending the year with four wins out of the last five, climbing to six in the table, four points off a European spot and nine off of third place. Statistically, it's all about the data. A dominant performance by Aberdeen with 73% possession, 19 shots to two, and an expected goal of 1.44 to 0.15. Next up, after the winter break, it's the rearranged home fixture against the newco Rangers on Tuesday, the 18th of January, 2022. Gavin, your thoughts on this afternoon's, I was going to say match, war of attrition.
2: Procession.
0: Session. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, thoughts.
2: Well, first things first, how predictable that seconds after you tweet something about expected goals, Dundee should probably get their equaliser. I know. Um, I'm just going to say what I said on Twitter after the game. A win's a win and all that should probably be quite happy in the top six, which um, I wouldn't have banked on as little as maybe a month ago. So yeah, that's all good, but um, dreadful, dreadful game of football.
0: It wasn't much of a watch, was it? I mean, I'm just glad we equalized as quickly as we did because if we hadn't, that could have been a very, very, very long afternoon.
2: I don't know if it's the combination of, you know, the restricted crowds, you know, boxing day, and it's kind of synonymous in this country with football. So to be watching from home on Red TV, which um, crashed for the first 10 minutes, so all I can say there is good job, guys. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Just, it just all felt very flat, you know, we did well to get the equaliser. Disappointing that we couldn't really push on and take the game to Dundee after that. Instead, the game just kind of petered out into nothing. It was almost like an exhibition match in the way of the tempo and the way it felt. Um, so, like I say, just looking back on it, I'm glad we got the result. Um, four wins out of five, that's very good. But I think on a day like today, the performance is probably more important. And I think we've learned a lot about what we need uh, going forward.
0: Do you think that the lack of crowd today affected the team at all, do you think? Given the circumstances as well. I mean, everyone's looking at the game today beforehand thinking, oh, Dundee have got 14, they've only got 14 fit players and three of them are goalkeepers and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, it was nearly uh, what you would class as being a recognised first team that Dundee were able to field.
2: Without knowing much about Dundee, I'd suggest that maybe minus Charlie Adam and McMullen, it's probably their strongest 11. Yeah, I would say so. So, did the lack of crowd impact the team? Listen, I would just say there that I've watched a lot of very similar, very slow, very passive performances from Aberdeen this season with the crowd in there, so I'm not sure I could really take that into consideration.
0: Just an odd game, though, I thought, all round. I- I- I don't. It's hard for me even to really put into words just what I really think about the game. To be frank, I've kind of calmed down a little bit since the full time whistle. The booze is helping with that, I suspect. Um, <laughs> I'd like you say. I just when Griffiths scores, you're like, Jesus Christ, here we go. They're going to park the bus. It'll be one nil. We'll be the laughing stock once again. About the fact we can't beat a team who've got you know three goalkeepers in their squad of fourteen and Dave McKay sitting on the bench. Like we just said, like getting the goal back early helps, obviously could have been a very long afternoon otherwise. But I just felt as though... I don't know. We seem to be a team... We go in little fits and starts of intensity. And I kind of understand that to an extent. But you look at that situation there. We get a goal back and you think, right, great. Dundee are surely coming here feeling like the world's against them a little bit already because they've asked for the game to be postponed and it's not happened. When you equalise so quickly after they've scored the goal, they score you really kind of almost want to get at them there, you know, because heads are naturally going to go down because they're just like, oh, Jesus, we thought we got ourselves ahead. And it kind of felt like we took the foot off the gas a little bit at that
2: point. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I think the performance is summed up by a moment in the first half. I'm not quite sure what happened exactly, but the ball gets to Ramirez, holds up well, and he releases Ojo down the right flank, who's got a ton of space to run into. And, you know, we've almost got a bit of a, an overlap on them or a man over. And instead of driving forward, Ojo, he just, he checks back and then he gives it to Ramsey and Ramsey takes four or five touches. And then he kind of runs down a dead end. And by that point, Dundee, you've got enough bodies back in to defend the situation. And that sort of sums up the lack of intent that can, you know, in many ways characterize our, our playing style, I guess. Um, Yeah, I mean, a strange game played in the tempo of like a friendly match almost. And that's disappointing. It's unexpected when you think that we know going into the game the problems Dundee have and that we're now going into the winter break. So you're thinking to yourself, let's go out on a high, on a good note to give the fans that are there, the fans that are watching something to be excited about going into the next half of the season but instead that was just not there and quite fortuitous that we actually got the winning goal
0: yeah and even like second half i felt that you know at, at half time there was a lot of talk on twitter about how passive how how slow we were in our possession um because we had the, the 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 bulk of the possession once again it was very slow it's very one paced it's very side to side there's no real no real breaking the lines with, with quick passes quick movement but then it felt like we came out second half, and the tempo was definitely up for about ten minutes, and we had we created a, a few not clear-cut opportunities, but we caused Dundee some challenges at the back. They, we, they conceded a number of corners. I think there was one Ramsey corner in particular that the goalkeeper had to almost like claw out from underneath his his crossbar. And again, you're kind of like, right, keep at that, keep it going, keep it going. And again, we just seemed to kind of withdraw. It became very passive. It became very safe. It became very Derek McInnes era the last couple of seasons especially where there was lots of side to side passing lots of keeping the ball but not really doing anything with it and again even in the first half I felt the hedges looked like he was on it in the first half but he kind of seemed to fade out of the game second half Watkins didn't really offer a huge amount today Ramirez we'll we'll talk about you've already touched on him at Easter Road kind of very same story again today is what we saw at Easter Road Jenks I think did okay he wasn't the guy where I hooked Personally for McLennan, when We we needed to do something I don't think taking Jenks off To put McLennan on was the move I would have made I think it was an odd substitution Yeah, I mean I think I said it at the time I think even went at the point that It was either at the point that McLennan came on Or, or it was at the point at which McGinn came on Where I'd said This to me looks like it's got a jet all over it Here now because Dundee were very comfortable Sitting with a very low block Two banks of four Content just to let us play in front of them it kind of felt to me we needed a guy to come in, which is what Jet's actually quite good at, and playing between the lines, holding the ball in, drawing players into him and creating space for others.
2: Yeah, I guess we're speculating here, but him going off at halftime against Hibs when it sounds like he was one of the better players, maybe it means that he's carrying a knock, perhaps? He was just in the squad today to, you know, fill a space on the bench, we don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, surprising that he didn't come on in a game like this when there was a lot of space to work with, both in front of their defence and Jets got ability to draw defenders to create space in behind. So yeah, surprised he didn't feature.
0: I think we've missed the influence of Scott Brown in the last two games.
2: Oh, massively, massively. But um, to go back to your point there about maybe it being a bit like Derek McInnes, to me, it's it's Stephen Glass. It's, it's Glassball is what I think of when I think of the last couple of performances you know that lack of intensity that lack of purpose lack of drive that I think has defined his era in some ways barring a few games of course
0: yeah I mean I guess this is one of the this is going to be one of the challenges the support might face to an extent with a team with a manager who's very much around possession-based football which is what we are now clearly we want to be doing we want to be a possession-based team but moving the ball quickly and, and and being incisive and creating opportunities and all that kind of good stuff. But I guess there are going to be games like today where a team comes and plays with a, a low block on you where unless you've got your creative players firing, unless you've got somebody who's playing in the hole in particular who's able to take the ball in a foot and make the turn, you know, take the ball and, and turn in one movement and, and, and build the play and link the play, when you're missing those types of players or that those players are on the pitch but they're not necessarily firing i guess it can become a little bit like what today was where there's a lot of possession but there's not a lot happening but it's been it's probably two games in a row now i would even suggest that a big chunk of the st Johnston game was a little bit like that there was some really really good play against st Johnston, but then it would kind of it was like 15 minute spell of it and then it would become quite passive again
2: yeah well how many times have we sat on this podcast and talked about games where we've had you know X amount of possession, X amount more than the opposition created no real chances. And then the opposition score an easy goal and we've lost. Um, Today, I mean, the goal itself is kind of fortuitous. It's not great play or anything like that. It's just, you know, the ball lands to Lewis Ferguson and he's one of our best players. So, of course, he has the ability to put the ball past the keeper. But even the first goal, you know, it's a decent bit of play. But beyond that, did we really... Did we really create any clear-cut chances other than that? I don't think so. No, I wouldn't have said so. Not not ones that I would
0: sit and say we should be scoring there. Maybe McCrory's chance, but it's not really a it's not a creative piece of play. It's a set piece.
2: Well, I was going to say that comes from a set piece. So it's not yeah. as though it's possession football turns into clear-cut chance.
0: On set pieces again today, because obviously Calvin Ramsey's come back into the squad, um, come back into the team, and this is not a dig at Calvin Ramsey. I'm presuming he's being told to do this. It's not just me. The dinky corner kicks. I don't know, they, they they don't, for me, they don't feel like they're working. I mean, I know that we scored from one against Celtic at home, we scored from a McGeech dinky free dinky corner kick at Ibrox, the one that Brown scores with the diving header, but I don't know, I feel the McGeech ones are a bit more...
2: I don't think that was a dinky one, but I think that was quite a purposeful cross. I mean, I think the corners you're thinking about, they're just they feel like they're just placed into an area. Mm-hmm. Whereas that was a pretty, I think Bram was always the target.
0: I'd like to go back and look at it again. I, I felt it was a kind of dinky one, but with a bit more pace on it. Any thoughts on those? Or do you think it's just a, it's just a tactic? It's just we're trying to hit an area and hope that the guys are doing their work off the ball, etc., to create runs onto a ball. Uh,
2: my views on our specialist set piece coach have already been scrutinized online, so I don't want to talk any more <laughs> about this.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough.
2: Um... I just don't know why we don't mix up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if we're just going to pack the six yard box as we did today, then why not have someone starting 25 yards out, making a run into the box or just something different. It feels like every game we go into with one set piece routine that we're just going to repeat over and over again. And I guess, you know, law of averages, it'll work eventually. Um, I think Ramsey's better than what he's done today. I think the team are better. Um, so yeah, disappointing. Not what you'd expect from a specialist set piece coach.
0: Yeah, I think, like I say, for me today, just a bit frustrating. I feel uh, it's it's a wins a win like you spoke about. Is what it is. If we're four wins out of five. We should probably be quite happy just now, quite content given where we've been we're certainly looking upwards it feels like in the league rather than looking over our shoulders which is obviously a, a positive given where we were even you know six seven weeks ago
2: i think you can see that there's already like a split in the league between you know the the bottom five and then the top seven i think that five that are there now will be the ones that are fighting out for relegation and yeah. it'll be between the other five out with the old firm fighting for top six
0: yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's up for debate. I, I don't feel like there's a huge much else we can really dissect out of today's game. To be to be quite frank,
2: I was gonna say, shall we talk about who stood out or did anyone stand out?
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, for you, who who have been topped on today? Ryan Hedge got Dylan McGee man of the match um, on Red TV I noticed.
2: Yeah, I'm just gonna throw it out there. I don't think a career in co-coms is in Dylan's future,
0: or in, or interviewing. He's not the next Parkinson. Have we, have we all seen the? Miguel Ramirez.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: The funniest part about that was obviously the stuff about the kettle, which was pretty funny. And the fact that um Christian Ramirez thought that Montrose was called Mark
2: Row. <laughs> um Top Dawn, I mean it's pretty difficult because I don't really feel like anyone stood out. I mean, I think the midfield three were all pretty anonymous. Yeah. Didn't really stamp their authority on the game the way you'd hope. Um Top Dawn, I mean you know what? The fact that I can't come up with an answer for that is probably the answer in itself.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's one today. I thought Hedges started brightly. Hedges was probably still our only player who really, when he got the ball, was driving at the Dundee defense, but still his decision-making and still his inconsistency for me. You know, I'm not convinced that, I'm not convinced that making Ryan Hedge is probably the highest paid player in the, in the squad or the second highest paid player in the squad is probably worth it for the return you get. He's a decent player but I think you only see it one or two times in a run of five. And apart from that, it's very inconsistent and we need more consistency for that for a guy we'd be making the top earner or the second top earner in the squad.
2: I think what I'd say about Ryan Hedges is that if this was in fact his last game for the club, then yeah, thank you very much for your service, Ryan. Um, been a good player for Aberdeen, a little bit frustrating in times with his inconsistency, but he's a player. When he gets on the ball, you get excited because you know, the ability that he has with the ball at his feet. Um, yeah, all the best to him, dubious about whether he can go to England and, I mean, certainly not a Premier League player.
0: No, absolutely not. I mean, I can't see Hedges, if I'm frank, as an upper championship player, to be honest. But that, that is what it is.
2: Like Cary Arneson said, uh, footballers, they they go for the biggest contract and he's at an age where he's probably got one big contract left in him. So if Blackburn's what it is, then so be it.
0: Absolutely. Um, are we going to give Hedges top on today? Yeah, why not? I'll agree with Dylan, Dylan McGee on this one. I, I would purely say just because he's the only guy that got the ball down and tried to run it at the Dundee defence. You've got a goal. Uh, yeah, Ryan Hedges today for me. Let's move on. In other news from Patoji this week, no women's match to discuss. They're not back in action until early January, so we can move straight to Lone Watch. And no Highland League games until the 27th. So they missed the publishing deadline for this episode. What are you up to, Highland League? Shocking state of affairs. Conor Barron and Keenan Nguyenia both started and lasted the full 90 minutes as Kelty Hearts' unbeaten run in League 2 came to a crushing end with a 5-1 defeat away at Annan Athletic, presumably busting a number of coupons across the country, including ours. Mark Gallagher was an unused sub for Forth Athletic in their thrilling 4-3 home defeat by Stenhouse Muir. I'm saying it was thrilling, I wasn't there, so who knows. It might be pissed for know there was just seven goals. In
2: Probably there. better than what was that? Though. <laughs> that
0: won't be difficult. No game for Peterhead, so nothing to report on Ryan Duncan. Michael Ruth didn't make the squad for Falkirk as they lost 2-1 against Clyde. And finally, Cliftonville are also not in action until the 27th against Crusaders. So Luke Turner's input misses the cut for this one as well.
2: I don't know exactly what he was up to, but it looks like Ronnie Hernandez had a very nice Christmas.
0: Excellent. Lovely stuff, Ronnie. What was he been up to?
2: I don't know. Just saw a picture of him with his family.
0: Cool. Did it? Did, did we have any idea where he was?
2: Definitely not Aberdeen.
0: It wasn't like the the um, the Kepleston Flats, no? No, no. Excellent. Good. Great stuff. Yeah, man. definitely not. Well, Merry Christmas, Ronnie. All the best. We hardly knew you. Let's move on. Fantasy Football Scotland. Let's see how we did this week. It's another shocker of a week for me. I'm just going to go straight there. Uh, 29 points. I'm down to 200 in first place in the league. Half my team's not even available. It's just not happening.
2: Yeah, it kind of looks like you've had like a bit of a COVID outbreak or something. I don't know what's happened <laughs> there. Uh, less options than the Dundee bench today.
0: Maybe I should be asking Fantasy Football Scotland to postpone a few matches.
2: There you go. Uh, 56 points for myself this weekend. Uh, that's taking into account a minus four deduction. Nice. For going over a budget once again. But um, yeah, my midfield doing a lot of the legwork, getting those points. Uh, Ferguson, Boyle, Rodjick and Hedges uh, getting the bulk of my points, uh, carrying the rest of the team. But yeah, pretty happy with that. Not bad at all. I've just noticed actually
0: Graham's had a worse week than me, 27 points. So I don't feel quite so bad now. I
2: mean, how's he done that?
0: By being worse, it would appear. Looking at the actual ABZFP league, Jack Curran, his two turkeys still lead the way, 1,300 points. He had 65 points this week. So I'm presuming that old Jackie boy has, uh, yes, there are them in it. So no luck. Matthew Price, I think this is a new entry into second place, 1,241 points. Yeah,
2: I mean, that's a name we've not seen before. So we've got a new contender.
0: We've not, he's clearly rising through the ranks. He's done well today, 78 points. He has a front three of Nisbet, Van Veen and Anderson. So he's done, and he had Ferguson and Boyle, who did they all score today?
2: Uh, Boyle created one and Ferguson scored. And Oh, he's got two of them.
0: Yeah, he's got two as well. So no luck. And then uh, Campbell Soup, Dominic Campbell, coming into third spot, 1,235 points. Into the bronze medal position. And again, yeah, he's got he's got three of them in it what is what's going on here why do people not like listen to the rules man it's gonna take it's gonna end up being us that win this at this rate you know that anyway keep on checking your fancy football team across the rest of the campaign there's some good prizes to be won let's move on and that wraps up part one of this week's show join us after the break for the first in our series of mid-season reviews as we take a look at our summer signings and assess who we would shag marry or avoid and to play out this half, making her third appearance on the show, it's a hat trick, so we'll need to send her a match ball. It's Iona Fife and her new single, Poor Ditching Boy. Check out Iona on Twitter, at Iona Fife, and you can purchase the track over at IonaFife.bandcamp.com. Here's Poor Ditching Boy by Iona Fife.
1: The river are we to flood The storm and the wind cut right in my skin, but she cut right in my blood I was looking for trouble to tangle my line but trouble come looking for me I can't I was standing on treacherous ground. I was sinking on
0: This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Seafood Sourcing. Formed in 2016, Seafood Sourcing are Scotland's premier seafood exporter, delivering the finest quality in fish from sea to shelf in the fastest possible time. With supply from all main Scottish ports, including from Europe's largest fishing port at Peterhead, daily catches are filleted by Seafood Sourcing's high-skilled team at their facility in Fraserburgh, Prior to transport on a fleet of modern refrigerated lorries, providing deliveries to as far afield as Belgium and France within 12 hours. For all of your seafood supply needs, contact Seafood Sourcing on 01346 410080 or by email on sales@seafoodsourcing.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. And with the winter break being brought forward rapidly, it's meant we've had to bring forward our winter break content plans as well. And as we head towards the January transfer window, it's a good time to look back at our summer recruitment and give you our thoughts on the players who joined the club at the start of the season and give you our rundown on how they've performed in a red shirt. So Gav, I think we should just take it from the top on this one, yeah? Let's do it. So Gav and I have decided as well that in order to give you an accurate barometer on these players, we've got a scale because what other kind of list doesn't need a scale on it? Now, if a player is deemed to be absolute horse shit, they're a Greg Wild. If they're bang average, Gav, we're going with.
2: So we decided in part to clarify our position on this player because stirred some controversy with his name previously. Uh, bang average, Kareem Tuzani.
0: And that might mean he's underrated. He might mean he's overrated. He didn't get a chance, whatever. But bang, average, Kareem Tuzani. And a great summer signing.
2: In recent times, I think Graham Shinny fits the bill here.
0: A Graham Shinny, perfect. So that's our scale. You know, a Wild, a Tuzani, or a Shinny. So let's start at the top. I guess the biggest name acquisition in the summer was announced at the same time that Stephen Glass uh, came to the club, announced on a pre-contract from Celtic. It's the match day team captain whatever the fuck that means scott brown number eight gav your thoughts on scott brown and what he's brought to aberdeen football club so
2: far i think when you're reviewing a player you go back to your initial reaction when he's signed and um, when it comes to scott brown i think we would had some nervousness that maybe he could be like another jackie matnamara perhaps or point
0: of order jackie fucking matnamara
2: jackie matnamara uh how's this book by the way
0: <laughs> Funnily enough, Santa didn't bring me that one.
2: Oh, it's a shame. Must have got lost in the mill or something. Uh, we've seen it with Matt man and Manon, even with guys like Hartley or Gavin Ray, that guys who have maybe, you know, these guys tried at least, but their legs were gone. Best days well behind them. And you combine that with the factor of how Scott Brown's Celtic career finished. I think there's a understandable questioning of how much hunger might be there to make Aberdeen work. Um, but he's come in. I think he's raised standards whenever he plays. I think we've seen how important he is just in terms of his actual quality on the pitch. Uh, The last couple of games, he's not been around. Um, Yeah, very, very happy with what Scott Brown has brought to the club. You know, he's um, he's the quintessential, hate him when he plays against you, love him when he plays for you. And I mean, bar two bouts of cramp, against a team that play in green and white i think he's been unreal
0: yeah i'm not sure if i necessarily go as far as unreal i think he's been really good across the board i'm very pleased to see that he appears to be unlike the aforementioned fucking jackie fucking McNamara buying into being an aberdeen player seems to be kind of relishing being an aberdeen player Seemed to have relished i think even actually getting the opportunity to win the aberdeen fans over um which has been good to see. Seems to be buying into a lot of the kind of social media stuff. Seems like an all-round good egg, actually, to have at the club with a lot of the stuff you hear has been seen out and about in the town. Um, whether that is contributing to the fact he's not played the last two games, I'm not entirely sure. But again, seems to at least be buying into being here um, more so than we've seen some so from some of these experienced professionals we've had come to us in recent years. He's played 18 times in the league this season for us, which is... Only eight appearances short of what he actually managed for Celtic across the whole of the campaign last year. A little bit surprised by that. I I thought we might have seen Brown in a more restricted role, um, especially because he's part of the coaching setup. I wondered whether we'd see Brown kind of picking and choosing games that they'd play him in, whereas he's been pretty much first first name on the team sheet when he's been available. I don't know if that's a sign of the fact that we're, despite the number of midfielders we have, especially in the central area, that we just simply don't have anybody else in there who's able to grab a game by the scruff of the neck in the same way that Scott Brown is able to do.
2: Yeah, I guess maybe that's a sign that the competition in that position have not um, reached out and grabbed that brass ring, so to speak. Oh, nice! Like uh, that's for you, Andy. Um, yeah, when I say that he's been unreal, I don't mean as though he's been like you know a, a top class, you know, worldie ever signing, but he's been he's been better than I expected him to be. Yeah, I mean, I thought he would be a lot more selective in the games that he's played, but in all fairness to him, bar those two bouts of cramp, he's probably shown over the course of the year that he's the fittest player we have. Yeah, I know. And so why not use him? Um, And I guess that's testament to the work that he puts in to keep his fitness up. And it's reflecting that, yeah, that competition in the center midfield area is not pushing him and pushing Stephen Glass to the point that he that he can consider leaving Scott Brown out. So, yeah, very good signing.
0: And there's been some great moments already from Scott Brown this season alone. Winding up the home support at early in the season was good. Enjoyed that a lot. The Cruyff turn on Barry Mackay against Hearts at home, that was good fun. That was funny. The little throw of the step over, I think it was against Hibbs, wasn't it? Then the crossfield pass out to... Uh, I want to say Ramsey
2: Out to Ramsey who then sets up the Ramirez goal
0: That was nice, enjoyed that one um, The back heel goal Against St Mirren, that was good
2: Which by the way he knew all about
0: And to top it all off a Diving header, at Ibrox Followed up by noising up the home support With a Morelos-esque celebration Pretty good, I mean Between that and then I, We touched on it a lot during the session With uh, Andy talking about the St Johnston game away an absolute masterclass in exhuming the soul of E.T. Vertainen at McDermott Park a few weeks ago was one of the funniest things I've ever watched on a football pitch. All I can say is that it's delightful to have it on your team for once and not against you. And one other thing I just want to put out, his performances at centre-half when he was forced to drop into a back three were exemplary. I actually think part of the reason Ross McCrory has really stepped up a little bit in recent weeks, especially, and has grown into this position It's because of some of those games where he was almost being talked through those games by Scott Brown by having experienced head alongside him, and we've seen kind of McTory almost grow leaps and bounds from that point.
2: I think I would still prefer to see him in that centre midfield role where he can really dictate the game and use his character almost to to take us forward. But yeah, when he was in there playing centre back, he did very well, and it's. Uh... Something we can perhaps even consider later down the road that could even prolong his career. I mean, he's got two years on his deal, but his legs, he looks like he's got a lot left in him. Um, so I don't rule out the possibility of him getting maybe another year, maybe another two years afterwards if he—if the desire is still there. Um, you know, I have a Celtic supporting friend at work and when I spoke with him about Scott Brown when he signed that pre-contract. The way he put it to me was that Scott Brown is perhaps overrated by Celtic fans, but underrated by everyone else. And I think we've seen that. Just a very good player.
0: Master of the dark arts. Great stuff. And actually, I'm going to just say as well, for, there was a period of time during the game at Tan Dice, the infamous Funzo Ojo match, where we had a set of defense of Scott Brown and Dean Campbell for a decent chunk of the game. A good 20, 25 minutes probably. And... We never really looked like conceding a goal when it was the two of them at centre half during that period, um, and I thought that for a completely makeshift centre half pairing, I th- and I think a lot of that was obviously down to Brown talking through etc. But that was that, for me that was almost an impressive, as impressive a thing I've seen from anybody this season, just being able to talk through a guy like Dean Campbell, who's not a centre half by any stretch of the imagination, to to to, to guide us close to, um, although it didn't end up being so, uh, a clean sheet during that phase. Let's move on anyway to another centre half.
2: Well, how are we ranking him?
0: Oh, sorry for Scott Brown. He's a a Graham
2: Shinney. Yeah, 100% agree. Definite Graham Shinney. Next
0: one. Declan Gallagher announced... Did he sign a pre-contract? I can't remember. He was announced as having signed for Aberdeen anyway before the end of last season, so I'm presuming it was on a pre-contract deal.
2: I don't remember the exact dates, but yeah, it was around early May.
0: From Motherwell, yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, Because Motherwell kicked up a whole fuss about us announcing him on a pre-contract.
0: That's right, correct. Absolutely. So um Deccan obviously Scotland International, went to the Euros with Scotland, didn't play any games, was just part of the squad. Um came to Aberdeen, I think, with a bit of a with a with a decent reputation as a Scottish international defender. You're signing a captain from another team in the in the SPFL. It's kind of not really happened for Declan as far as I'm concerned. Injuries have played a big part in that, it's fair to say. But um your thoughts, Gav.
2: A strange signing. Yeah. It's weird because even if you just look at when Stephen Glass came at the end of last season and we played the few games where he was in charge, you could see, even with the likes of Ash Taylor, and so that we were going to play out from the back in a certain way. And Declan Gallagher just doesn't fit the profile of that kind of defender. And this is no critique on him or the teams he's played for, but... He's played the bulk of his senior football for Motherwell and Livingston, and they just don't play that style of football. So when we signed Declan Gower, I didn't really understand where he fit in. Um, taking it from another angle, you look at it and think, well, this is the guy that played against Serbia and he dominated Alexander Mitrovic. And you're thinking to yourself, coming into the prime of his career, we got a really good defender. Um, but whenever he's actually played and yeah injuries have been a factor in him not performing as much as he probably wants to but when he has played it's just been very very underwhelming and not what you'd expect from a guy with the kind of profile we were told that we were getting Um, and that sort of summed up maybe he's a, a victim of this being very fresh in my mind but obviously you know. He's maybe not a ball-playing centre-back, but the things you'd expect Declare to be good at, you know, being in the box competing for headers, competing for challenges, he's not even doing that well, and that's reflected in the way that he just loses purchase and ultimately, let's be honest, he cost us the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it was an odd signing at the time, if you look at the way we want to try and play. I I think, uh, I'm not sure, I would have to go back and listen to episode one um, all over again, because we're not, type of podcast that listens to our own episodes after they're actually issued to the 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 wider populace but
2: speak for yourself (laughs) um I will go back and listen to Eugene Daddy talk about Aberdeen every day there we go fills my heart with joy why
0: wouldn't you why wouldn't you um and I can't remember if one of us or if it was myself who said that the Gallagher signing does seem a bit odd because he doesn't really fit the style of play we're looking to try and implement at all, and I was always concerned that this was going to be the biggest issue for Declan Gallagher come to Aberdeen was when he was asked to play football, <laughs> you know, to try and play passes out from the back, etc. I felt that his strongest suit was as a penalty box defender. We've just touched on the fact that even at that that side of the game has been maybe lacking a little bit, and again, there's maybe a recency bias there. You're right because Tuesday, Wednesday night, sorry, is still very fresh in the memory. There was that period where he came in and we played with a back three for a couple of games, and then he got injured against Hibbs.
2: Uh Yeah, Hibs in the first half.
0: It kind of looked like he was maybe starting to get there. Um, I'm convinced a back three is the best way, the, the best place for Gallagher to play as as the middle of a back three. It's where he plays for Scotland. It's where he does where he plays well there because he's simply just being asked to be a defender. He's simply being asked to throw himself in front of stuff tackle, if he has to pass the ball it's very very short passes to either of his centre halves or to his wing backs either side of him it's very uncomplicated football and now we've moved back to back four again now it appear and I think this is part of our issues actually at the moment despite the fact we're winning games is the fact we don't have a lot of width up the park because the likes of Hedges and Watkins always want to cut inside but that's a, that's a completely different conversation. I'm not convinced the system's helping Gallagher either, the I was really surprised on Wednesday night Easter Road just how flustered and how in a flap he got for that mad five minutes. He's thirty years old now. He's got a wealth of experience of playing in the top flight with Motherwell, with Livingston, through the Scottish setup, with the likes of Dundee, etc. Before that, it was you'd expect a young player to have a flap like that, not an experienced head. Not an ex- an experienced head shouldn't lose their head about the fact that they feel that a referee should have given a free kick against them to the point that they can't man-mark a guy at the next corner. Um, I, I kind of tend to agree. I'm not sure there's a long-term career future for Declan Gallagher at Avenue Football Club. Now, that does beg a question. Do you think he might be one of the guys they look to shuffle out the door in January?
2: I think given Constantine's progress in recovering from his injury, uh, it applies that he's not a million miles away from being available for selection within the next couple of months. Uh, Scott Brown's shown that he can do a job there as well. I don't think we'd be looking to actively get rid of him, but because I think we'll want to keep him for squad purposes, but if a club were to come in with a bid, I think we would give it some some real consideration.
0: I had seen there were some rumours about Dundee possibly looking to take him on loan in, in January, because I guess Gallagher as well, he'll be looking to try and get his way back into Scotland set up. Um, there's obviously big matches coming up for Scotland. There's also the potential if we come through those big matches that there's a World Cup in Qatar at the end of next season, at the end of, sorry, next year to look forward to. is not going to be wanting to be not playing football. So it does make me wonder whether or not he does, maybe he pushes for some sort of move. Obviously got dropped out of the team for the game today. I think that was probably all, always going to happen. Uh, I think McCrory and Bates are clearly our first choice centre-half pairing at the moment.
2: And rightfully so.
0: I agreed, but at the same time, uh, if Gallagher hadn't made the mistakes he made in that five-minute spell he thrown on Wednesday night, the manager would have had a, a decision to make about whether he put McCrory straight back in or whether he gave Gallagher another game with, with the shirt. And he chose to drop him straight out, clearly because of what happened on Wednesday night, and that doesn't bode well for Gallagher, especially now that's the last game. It's going to be fresh in the manager's thoughts as we go into the winter break and as we then go into January recruitment. I'm still convinced Declan Garker was not actually a Stephen Glass signing. I, I, I For the life of me I can't understand why it happened I think this may have been a crossover with the previous regime director of football etc and maybe Glass has gone okay, you know he is a Scotland international, maybe there's something there we can work with I don't know, it just doesn't fit the profile of the player I would have thought we were looking at, but anyway for you Gav, Declan Garker on the scale, <laughs> on the wild Tuzani, Shinny scale
2: Um, he's not Greg Wilde. If listeners out there can think of a player assigning who was slightly worse than Tuzani, then that's where I'd probably grade Declan Gallagher. Somewhere between Greg Wilde and Karim Tuzani. Um, But if I may, to go back to the system that you're talking about, I agree. I think that a back three would be the best way to uh, incorporate Declan Gallagher into the team. Yeah, but my point would be, in some ways, it reminds me of, I guess you could almost call this like the the Sam Cosgrove conversation. <laughs> that sounds like a. Th- and we need to stop changing everything into a conversation. By the way, oh, that sounds
0: like a, that sounds like a future um, segment.
2: Yeah, well we digress for the time being but uh would a back 3 be the best system to get the best use out of the players that we have i'm not sure i would ar- i would argue it probably is but um yeah i'm i'm not sure myself i think i like the 4231 system that we have right now there's something about a back 3 that just frankly just kind of unnerves me and I can't really put my finger on why is that
0: because Aberdeen historically have absolutely shat the bed every time we play a back three
2: I don't know in this case if that is what it is it's just that I mean okay so you got a back three so you've got three center backs two wing backs you're three in the middle and then you've kind of got two attackers yeah and I just feel that with the personnel we have at the time being that's not the best mixture of them So to come back to Sam Cosgrove, it's like, okay, we can use this to get Gallagher on the team. But is that the detriment of the team overall?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is I think this is a conversation for one of the next segments in the next few weeks, actually, about system and all that kind of stuff. So we'll we'll, we'll maybe not spend too long on that. For me, yeah, I agree. Declan Gallagher is somewhere between a Greg Wilde and a Kareem Tuzani right now. Uh, He's not as bad as Greg Wilde ever was. It's not a straight get him out the door in january as far as i'm concerned i'd like to see if we could make it work but i'm just not convinced it's going to and that does bring you to the kind of the derrick McInnes um philosophy i guess in his early time at aberdeen where he'd bring players in in the summer window and if it wasn't going to work out it wasn't going to work out greg wild is, is a good example of it that this isn't going to work out in the long run let's just get rid of them sharpish there's no point in trying to pretend otherwise
2: I guess the issue there is because, I mean, word on the street was that he rejected Cardiff City to come here.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. And so he's presumably on a pretty good wedge. Uh, yeah. And I think he signed, I think I want to say he signed like a three year deal.
0: I can't remember. Two or three year.
2: Yeah. So the issue there is that if we want to move him on, then he has to agree to move on. And that's a whole other factor in itself.
0: Absolutely. Definitely. Okay. Let's move on from Declan Um, Oh, this guy's been talked about a lot. This guy hasn't talked a lot. Um, J. Emmanuel Thomas, the big man, the enigma, Jet. Gav, uh, you're right. reaching for the bubbly.
2: Okay. Uh, a little bit of the bubbly. Um, J. Emmanuel Thomas, Jet. What is there to be said? There's a lot, I think. I think there's a lot. Right. Well, let's go about this in sort of like a, a scientific way. <laughs> let's talk about his weaknesses of which there are many. So, in difficult games, it's kind of like carrying a passenger, and I don't think that's unfair to say. Although, in saying that, I did watch the highlights, and he did track a man back in the Hibs game, so, you know, maybe he's learning. Um, Listen, I I still like Jet, and I don't know if that's the fact that I'm won over by his quite infectious character that you see on social media, Um, and I think there's a player in there, I think there's a match winner in there, which is a rare thing to find in an individual, certainly at the level we're at with the budgets that we use. So, you know, it's it's just, it's so frustrating because there is so much ability there, and when you see him not using it on a weekly basis, it just makes you want to pull your hair out. I... But yeah, I still like him, and I can't really put my finger on exactly why that is, but I want it to work for him. I feel he does still have something to offer to the club. Um, Like I say, he seems like he's a really good lad um, in the dressing room, and the team seem to really like him. Maybe that plays a part in how he's continued to get contracts for, let's be fair, very little in terms of reward for the clubs that have offered him those contracts. But um, yeah, seems like a good guy. If you ignore the fact that he punts NFTs on Instagram. um, As
0: did a bunch of our players actually at the same time. Well,
2: yeah, that's very true. Um, Can I repeat myself now? Infectious personality, tons of ability, so frustrating.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I so want it to come good for Jet at Aberdeen because you're right, he strikes me as being a... The the Jimmy Coldwood, great guy to have about the place. It's clear that the squad love him to bits. It's clear that, you know, the the even the coaching staff, I think, love him to bits just for his, his personality and what he brings to the dressing room, which is one thing. Uh, and you're right, I, I wonder if that's part of the reason why he's been kept on at so many clubs in the past is because he is that good guy to have about the place. <clears throat> on the pitch, I'm not sure I can think of any more... Divisive or frustrating a player Aberdeen have had in my entire time watching them.
2: I think Graham sums it up best because Graham's got very strong feelings on Jet. <laughs> he
0: does, he does. Bless him.
2: Listen, how many players have we seen, our listeners seen, come through the doors at Aberdeen and then leave pretty sharpish because at the end of the day they just weren't good enough. So, when you have someone like Jet come through the door, you know, he was he was at Arsenal and he was there under Wenger and he nearly made it to the first team and then just couldn't quite crack that. Yeah. So obviously there's just all the ability in the world there and for whatever reason he just can't do it on a regular basis and it's very frustrating. Uh, he's 31, 32 now, so I'm not sure we're going to be the ones that are going to crack that.
0: Yeah, I mean, all the evidence points to the fact that it's it's not going to happen. That, you know, for Jet, he's not going to become the player that there's the potential there for him to have been and to become. It's, you know, he's at the age now where that's just simply not going to happen. Um, but what's no coincidence, and you're right, Gav, about this. He's a match winner and a bit of a maverick in the in the sense that I think some of our best football this season has come when Jet's been on the pitch, and I think to. Heckin, first game. He was unreal that night. Absolutely unbelievable that night. I think United at home, we played well that day against a very poor United side who now appear to be regressing back to the mean. Um, he, he did play quite well that night. 10 Castle away, second half. I mean, Andy Halliday will still be having nightmares about him. He was superb. Then when he came back into the side, Livy, he, he did very well in that game. Did exactly what we needed. St Mirren. He was part of the reason that we got those three goals in the first half, fading out the game a little bit. Obviously, St Johnston away first half, I actually thought he did pretty well. He was doing what we what you'd want Jet to do, <clears throat> and against Hibbs, I didn't think he did anything wrong. Really, I didn't think he justified being hooked at the point he was hooked. Um, he obviously wasn't in the team for that that three game spell, the the Hebs Rangers Hearts spell. That I guess everyone looks at as being probably the, the height of the season so far for us. But is it any is it any coincidence that we've got some results going when he's been in the team.
2: I would tend to think not.
0: It's hard to kind of fathom because you look at a jet a lot of time and you go, there's not any real end product, you know, that people look like. There's no goals. That said, the goal, the one goal he has scored for us was an absolute fucking beauty against Ray Rovers, but then at, at the same time, me talking about all those games there, there are also performances on the flip side of of, of games where he started that just point in the complete opposite direction. Hecking away, Braithablick away were... Embarrassing performances for professional footballer if I'm honest. Carabag away, he did nothing um, but I guess nobody did really in, in that game so it's kind of hard to single him out in that one. Just a real enigma and a real difficult one uh, to call where, where I am on J. On, on Emmanuel Thomas.
2: For me, yeah, keep him around. I think he's shown he's got enough to contribute to the team. Uh, you just wish you could see it on a more regular basis and it's yeah. The word is frustration. It's so frustrating.
0: Yeah. On the scale? Uh,
2: Kareem Tuzani.
0: Yeah, i put him in Tuzani territory, and I just can't decide if he's underrated, overrated, absolute horseshit, shit, show pony, or if he's actually really good and just doesn't have the work application. And
2: yeah, I'm not sure if I'm just being won over the fact that I love watching a gigantic, enormous man with crazy feet that can do back heels and nutmeg opponents all day long it's just yeah Yeah. excellent
0: even when it's not the time to do it but I agree Karim Tizani for for Jet next up on the hit list
2: (laughs) yeah well hit list is a good word to use here
0: yeah um, Jack Gurr.
2: I go back to my comments after the Celtic game where I said that I actually just feel sorry for him and his recruitment is what makes me nervous going into January knowing how important that month is going to be for us um i don't think it's unreasonable to state that jacker was almost definitely a stephen glass signing
0: oh it has to be there's no question about that no question
2: yeah i mean given their relationship it just has to be the case and if stephen glass was involved in that and decided that jacker is a player who is of the suitable level capability to play in the spl then it's worrying going forward what we uh what we could bring in in the future um jacker again as i said he wouldn't get a game for cove rangers to be honest i think he would even struggle to get a game in league two so uh, yeah i mean feel sorry for him just nowhere nowhere near the level required to play in the spl um kind of in many ways just a lamp to the slaughter and yeah Not much more to say.
0: I mean, I guess we just you just touched on there about the fact we're commenting about recruitment on players. I just realized we never really spoke about the recruitment of Jet, so I don't know whether we need to jump back on that just to decide whether the recruitment of Jet was a good or a bad thing. Like for me, Jet stands out as being he's arrived here because we didn't have our fucking structure in place, basically. Because Stephen Glass has come in, he arrived at an Aberdeen team, an Aberdeen squad that had no Strikers on the books With the exception of Bruce Anderson Because he came into Three of Hornby, Hendry And Camberry None of who were going to be Under contracts After the summer He saw Jet play against us Twice in quick succession For Livingston His first game Was the Livingston Cup tie And then we played Livingston away And Jet in both of those games Was brilliant And the Cup tie Especially for He was fantastic Scores a worldie Against us at The Tony Macaroni It's one of those Where you kind of go It's recency bias Isn't it you kind of like the manager's looking at it and going, this boy's absolutely bullied us here. He's available on a you – know, he's out of contract or wherever he was. We can do a bit of a make-weight deal to get him in for Bruce Anderson. It makes sense. This guy will absolutely – we'll do wonders here. So I could kind of understand why that deal came about. Whereas if we had our proper setup in place with our head of recruitment in the door by that point, et cetera, you'd maybe be expecting somebody would sit there and go, yeah, he did that, but you know what? He's not really the profiler guy we should be looking for for our football club because of x y and z and you go through the negatives about jets and then you make a decision about whether you take him or not for me he feels like he was kind of brought in as a bit of a not a panic but a reactionary signing
2: yeah i mean i think we would need to get uh liam from the almond view podcast to clarify this but my thinking is that those two games against us for livingston were probably jets best performances of the season and it's a tale we've known in the past you know curtis main obviously uh, maybe it was just a case of Stephen Glass or, you know, whoever was in charge of recruitment. And it's hard to say who that is because of the number of conflicting statements that have come out regarding uh,
0: that. Well, and Mowbray wasn't in the door, so it wasn't him.
2: It wasn't and Mowbray. No, it was not Tony's brother. He was not involved in this.
0: Yeah, so it's either Stephen Gunn or Stephen Glass or a combination of both.
2: Or maybe the chairman. Or the chairman. Not that we're suggesting he has the involvement in the first team. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's Curtis main, isn't it? You know, we've seen it, he does well against us. So let's look at this guy. He's got a lot of ability, uh, good background in many ways. So let's see if we can, you know, crack the formula to turn that into a weekly thing. Maybe not taking into account the the factors that have, you know, made that not happen on a regular basis throughout his career.
0: Yeah, so if we move to Jack Gurr then, um, as you say, clearly, definitely, absolutely, 100% a Stephen Glass signing, having worked with him at Atlanta United 2, gave him his Atlanta United first team debut, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and as you and Graham have quite rightly said, it does make you question the manager's judgment about what makes a good SPFL premiership footballer. Um, I don't have any doubt about that. And I kind of tend to agree with you that I feel a little bit sorry for Jack Garr for being put into the situation he's been put into um, through no fault of his own when he's just realistically not up to it.
2: I say that because I've seen people on Twitter and whatnot talking about how they feel sorry for Stephen Glass. You know, because he got offered the job, so why would he turn it down? Even despite perhaps there's a a sizable chunk of evidence that suggests that the job is too big for him at the moment. But... um, on that kind of note, you know, but Jack Gert wasn't going to turn down a, a permanent contract in the in the SPL. So, um, yeah, like I said, just nowhere near good enough and watching him against the Jota at Celtic Park, it was, oh, it was painful.
0: Although I would say, I think he was released by Atlanta to allow him to come here for nothing. I think if, I don't think he was getting released by Atlanta unless he was coming to Aberdeen.
2: I'm going to put this out there. I don't think they were too keen on keeping him.
0: Well anyway Neither here nor there I mean he got released Like literally a week Before he moved to Aberdeen Which seems very coincidental That's all I'll say about that But I I agree I feel sorry for him To an extent His performances In the first team Have been Nowhere near good enough As to be expected I think Because I don't think Any of us think He's really up to it um, The Wraith Rovers Second half was Horrific Absolutely horrific I don't think we saw him again Until Dungeon Aid, Did we?
2: um well off the top of my head i think you guys and martin stone talked the episode after that game i think so we all assumed he was just done and then came back for the united game because i guess we just really needed him
0: uh, we had so many injuries for united the way that ger came in and in fairness to jack Garr in that match he did okay i mean he wasn't you know he wasn't world beating and he it, it wasn't revolutionary but he he did all right
2: he wasn't the worst pair on the pitch that day
0: no we'll probably come on to who that was shortly but he did okay and i thought well maybe actually um maybe there <laughs> might <be. laughs> yeah you've, you just looked at the yeah, list yeah i've you? just
2: seen who you're talking about
0: <laughs> and i thought well actually maybe you never know if this guy gets a bit of a run he's got he's got some decent pace about him in fairness to jack garr um, so that can that gets fullbacks out of a lot of trouble more often than not,
2: I think in some way this is a sign of the evolution of the SPL because I mean it's kind of like John Gallagher all over again, isn't it? There was a time when having some good pace, having a good engine, would probably be, probably enough to sustain a career in Scotland, but now not so much.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. But then the following week he's up against Shota at Celtic Park, and that's a it's a difficult shift, in fairness, to for a lot of people. Um, but it was. It was horrible to watch.
2: And the issue there is that the goal that we concede, it's almost like a carbon copy of the winning goal that that Raito score that he costs us.
0: Yeah, pretty much. It's an awareness thing. It's a it's a game experience, game management thing there.
2: Yeah, which I guess is to be expected because what he's twenty five, I think.
0: He's not twenty five, is he? He's
2: in around there.
0: No, come on. Feel no, free he's... to look it up. I'm going to look it up right I'm now. I'm fairly
2: sure he's in and around there and he'd played some like 50 games for Atlanta too. He's 26, Gavin. Uh maybe he was 25 when he signed.
0: Yeah, he would have been. He had his birthday at the end of November.
2: And he'd played something like 50 games for Atlanta? 17. So there's not that. I, and I know that the American college system is very different and all that. But, you know, the lack of experience in first team football you know, that's going to contribute. Yeah. When when you're that age, you've played that little football. What, really, what chance do you have?
0: Yeah, now, the, the only thing I can imagine that's happened here is that Stephen Glass has come in end of last season and has looked at the squad and thought, right, Calvin Ramsey's going to be my first choice right back slash right wing back. Uh, we're going to let Shea Logan go, you know, or he's been told Shea Logan's leaving. One of the two, depending on what you want to believe in the kind of, you know, media and reports and stuff like that. They've maybe looked at it and thought there's enough cover in the squad at right back. So what we'll do is we'll I know this kid and I think he's a decent guy and I think he's maybe maybe got the attributes. This would explain why he arrived in on our one year deal, in fairness. And you know, maybe this kid's got the kind of attributes that could do a job in this league, and we'll take a punt on him. And he's probably here on peanuts. and he was he's not gonna be here on big money. And they've maybe thought we'll take a punt on it and see how it goes, and if if it works out and it turns out actually he's a really good footballer here, then we're you know we're laughing because we've taken a boy in, we'll get him signed up on a new deal, and you know we're Bob's your uncle, fan your aunt, and all that. I don't know if it's like a bit of a, a cheap punt more than anything, and it's just simply not worked out. But the problem, of course, here is that cheap punt has cost us well, cost us our place in the league cup bare minimum so one chance of a trophy went out the door pretty much because of Jack I, I know that the rest of the team were horrible that day I don't want a single one guy but it's his two mistakes that lead to the two goals so you kind of naturally have to look at that so
2: I can kind of I
0: kind of understand taking a punt
2: yeah I mean I get it but I mean when people talk about Aberdeen paying peanuts to players I mean I'll I'll talk about this in more detail with maybe one or the two other names that are on this list Um but yeah, the idea of us paying peanuts to justify a player being here it doesn't really hold up to my scrutiny. Um, like I say, you know, when, when Calvin Ramsey's been unavailable, Jack Gerr has been absolutely nowhere near the team. Yeah. And if it took that little time for Glass to realize that Ojo oh, was a better option, then I just don't understand why Jack Gere is here at all.
0: Yeah, no. agreed. Uh, on the scale?
2: One level above Greg Weld.
0: I feel that like the Greg Welding is really harsh because... The Greg Wilde thing also indicates like a level of like arseholery. Arse
2: yeah. Should we create like a level above Greg Wilde?
0: No, fuck it. That's too difficult. I'm like too many drinks in. Jack Gurr is one level above Greg Wilde. Jack Gurr maybe becomes the new benchmark about this. He's John Gallagher. He's John Gallagher mark too.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think that's unfair. Sorry, Jack.
0: Um, anyway, let's move on. Next one.
2: Gary Woods. So obviously on loan here last year, but signed a permanent contract in the summer Yeah, yeah. to be our second choice slash competing for first choice goalkeeper. Signed from Oldham, but uh, most known in Scotland for his time was Hamilton Ackies. Um, I will simply repeat the words of the gentleman who stands behind us in the football. Or well, at least he stood behind us that day. Um, Gary Woods just... Nowhere near the level of an Aberdeen goalkeeper. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Certainly nowhere near good enough to be first choice, and I think he's a marked drop off in quality of backup keepers in comparison to say Thomas Cherney or Neil Alexander.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean I can't I, just, I can't argue with any of that. I mean obviously Gary Woods got his shot um, at home against Celtic after Joe Lewis had a pretty ropey um, start to the campaign probably didn't really do anything wrong per se in the Celtic home game kept his place for the infamous away match at Dennis Park now Joe Lewis was ill that day so I'd be very intrigued to know whether Lewis would have come back into the team that day or whether he would have been kept out and um, I know that you felt at the time that Lewis probably still would have been on the bench that afternoon I think. At the time, you kind of felt that it it didn't seem as though Woods was coming in just to kind of teach Lewis a lesson for one game.
2: At the time, that's not the way I thought Glass would act.
0: Yeah, okay. Had a horrendous match at Dens Park. I mean, I've already said I hold him culpable for the second goal in particular. And the first goal, I didn't think he covered himself in much glory either. And then before you know it, he was back out the side again and hasn't featured since once again. And yeah, I mean, I agree with the guy that you're talking about. I've voiced it on a number of occasions now as well. I think your backup goalkeeper has to be maybe not quite as good as your first choice because it's, you know, the nature of the league we are, the budgets at play, we can't afford to carry two first choice goalkeepers. But the guy has to be good enough that if he comes in, you feel that he'd be good enough to be your number one goalkeeper. And Thomas Cherney, I think, for me, felt that he would be good enough to be our number one goalkeeper, even if it's just for three or four weeks. I, I never felt unnerved by it. Gary Woods is absolutely nowhere near good enough to be Aberdeen Football Club's number one goalkeeper. Um, his record at Hamilton, and okay, right, Hamilton at the bottom of the league, they're going to concede chances, they're going to concede goals, etc. But his expected like save percentage was ludicrously low. I just looked at his stats. In his two games he played for Aberdeen, he made one save. And okay, that could be down to the fact that as was happening a lot at the start of the season, we had a lot of ball and we didn't concede a lot of chances, etc. But just goals were just flying in all over the shop. But I still always look back at that second goal against Dundee. Just nowhere near good enough. Not for me. um Greg Wild,
2: one level above Greg Wild.
0: Yeah, one level above. He's not an arsehole, as far as we're aware.
2: Yeah, as far as we're aware. Um, this is the thing. The quote-unquote quality that he brings in terms of distribution and listen, when he was in goal for us I didn't even really see that too much No, neither did I um, It's not enough to make me think that he is anywhere close to being an alternative to Joe Lewis and if Joe Lewis wasn't here Gary Woods still wouldn't be good enough to play for Aberdeen so, so I, prefer, I mean, How long has he got left on his deal? I think it's a two-year deal he signed yeah, not good enough. Yeah, okay,
0: let's move on. Um, another of our American imports, but probably the more successful. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, scores all the time. Well, not quite, but close enough.
2: I'm sure you're going to bring up his goals against ratio in a minute.
0: Christian Ramirez. Yeah. What did you expect from Ramirez? Truth be told, I had absolutely no idea.
2: Um, I would say... On the whole, a successful signing. I think he's definitely a goal scorer. I wonder how much of my opinion is swayed by again how infectious his personality appears to be. Yeah, yeah. But you know, as you say, he's a guy that came in, unlike our, unlike the lowest level of our scale, came in and bought has bought into the club instantly. Yeah. I think it feels like he knows that this is like the biggest move of his career. And he wants to do everything he can to make it work. And when he's presented with chances, you know, I think I trust him to score goals. I think there's a lot of work that he could do to improve his all round game to get himself involved in games where maybe perhaps we're not getting, or maybe we're not creating as much. Um, I don't think we can afford to carry people at any time. No. I think there's work to be done, but certainly I think I'm guessing his goal to game ratio is something like one and two I can see you looking at it right now. It's probably one and two, maybe like one and two and a half, something like that.
0: It's it's dropped off a little bit. I mean, if you want to talk about his uh, across the whole season, it's dropped off a little bit in recent weeks. But um I think he
2: could use a rest.
0: Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. he's he's eight goals in uh nineteen starts in the in the Premier League, so just slightly off of one and two.
2: Probably got a couple of goals in Europe as well.
0: Yeah, he scored he scored two Scored three goals in Europe.
2: Yeah, one against Hagen at home, two against Brighton
0: away. Away, it's not far off of one and two. Probably erring more towards one and three. Um, but then he doesn't take he doesn't take penalty kicks. So for a striker that does, you know, alter his, his figures a little bit. I guess what was I expecting when he came in? I mean, I've just said, it. I truth be told, I wasn't really sure. I mean, I'm not an MLS aficionado. He obviously had limited playing time at Houston. Um and with Ellie before that. Obviously his best spell came at Minnesota, but that's a few seasons ago now. You're right. I think he's used this certainly, if not being the biggest club of his career, but certainly the biggest move of his career. He's talked all the time about how he wanted to play in Europe, test himself in Europe. So I think he's giving his all to 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 try and make the most of it he's here, obviously at a two-year deal. I like the fact that he and his family appear to have kind of really embraced. Moving to Aberdeen, moving to Scotland, you know they've tried to get involved, etc. Seems like an infectious personality, all that kind of good stuff. So again, seems like a good egg in the changing room. I think the lot that the team seemed to like him. I was gonna say he's like an American Adam Rooney, but I'm not sure because the reason I say that is because Adam Rooney always had this criticism level that him which was well, well, it doesn't really do much else apart from score goals, which wasn't. You know, it wasn't a million miles away from the truth either. He wasn't, you know, that's what he did. And he was very fortunate he played in a team for Aberdeen where you had McGinn and Hayes and like likes a and then McLean and guys like that who were creating chances for him fairly routinely. Ramirez hasn't benefited from that type of service. But like Rooney, Ramirez does his best work within, within the 18-yard box and pretty much within the width of the goal frame. And the thing for Ramirez is he scores different types of goals. We've seen it all season. He scores tap ins, he scores headers, he scores, you know, the, the hook shot, he scored against St. minimums was a good finish, was instinctive, um, poachers goals, etc. The one thing he doesn't have, I always hark back to this one, the Adam Rooney goal against St. Johnson in the semi-final league cup. If I, if Christian Ramirez is getting played through on a one-on-one with a goalkeeper like that, am I convinced he's going to score it? I don't know, because I've never really seen it happen. When Adam Rooney ran through that day, it was the first time I think I felt since Duncan Shearer was at Aberdeen. I was like, that's going in the net. Like from the time he got the ball 40 yards from goal, I was like, he's scoring here. Maybe needs to do a bit more work. I agree with you, out of possession. I saw somebody talk about this other day that Ramirez is the kind of guy that when he's out of possession, he looks like he's working really hard, but is he actually really?
2: You know, he's working hard, but is he working effectively?
0: Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, there's a lot of running around, but is it really effective in what he's doing? I don't know. Maybe not. He stood up to the physical challenges of Scottish football, which I was not sure if he would early doors, just because he seems like quite a nice guy. Actually, um, you know, we've seen him go head to head with you know Edwards and Butcher and that at United, and he's stand his ground. And we saw him with Porteous as well on Wednesday night doing the same. Um, he's had some rough treatment off at of defenders, and he's kind of just picked himself up and got on with it. I think a good piece of business overall. I'd be interested to know how much we're paying him to work out if it's a good piece of business, you know, per pound spent. You know, if he's here on an astronomical wage, then that maybe makes your view of his stats differ. But needs the service, can't play as a number one, which is why I think 352 is a better formation for us, but never mind.
2: Well, that's why I think 4 3 would be good because then you could have players breaking the lines to get close to him and, you know, create the opportunities around the box that allow Ramirez to just simply be that penalty box striker that we know that he's good at and that saves him doing the donkey work, which we inversely know he's not so good at.
0: Yeah. But all in all, he's in the Graham Shinny category for me, I would suggest. he's He's been a good acquisition. I think he needs a rest. We can't continue to rely on him for the rest of the season.
2: Without having the figures in front of me, I would assume that he's probably played just about every minute of football we've had this season. He won't be far off of it. I guess the issue there is then if we drop him or rest him, who do we bring in his place? But hey, that's a whole other matter. Uh, Christian Ramirez, I would be placing him maybe one or two levels behind Graham Shinney. Cool.
0: Teddy Jenks on loan for Brighton Hove Albion. He's here for the season. Started today against Dundee. It's first start he's had for a little while. Your thoughts, Gavin, on Teddy
2: Jenks? Kind of goes back to when we signed him again. I mean, heard a lot of talk about his credentials and the expectation for him. I mean, I think he captained England at a young age. I'm pretty sure that was something that was getting banded about. Pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Come from Brighton, you were under Graham Potter, especially they've taken on a style of play that is quite matching with our um quote unquote philosophy. So in that sense, it, it made sense. I'm kind of still unsure of exactly what Terry Jenks is because I don't think we were getting told we were getting a number 10, but it was like more like an attacking midfielder. Then he came in, he was very much playing sort of in a two, almost in a deep-lying role. I think what I would say is that in recent weeks, the last month or so, he's appears to really kind of screwed his head on and really knuckled down to make this work. I'm sure that he realizes that an unsuccessful time at Aberdeen is not going to be good for him in terms of his future at Brighton or you know, wherever he goes after that. So we've started to see some, some real ability. Um, listen, donkeys don't score the goal he scored against Livingston, uh, nor do they score the goal he scored against St Johnston. So, yeah, I've been encouraged in the last month or so. And to be quite honest, I'd actually like to see a little bit more about him so that we can see what what exactly he is. It's interesting
0: you said that, because I think that that was almost what some of the feedback we had from Brighton whole Albion fans when we uh, took Terry Jenkson alone Was it, it wasn't really clear what his best position was going to be he's probably not got enough dig in enough about him to be a deep lying central midfielder or to play in a two does he have enough about him further up the park to score enough goals and to play incisive passes and all that kind of good stuff Judy was kind of still out I think a little bit from Brighton fans on that it was clear there was a lot of technical ability there but it was just like where does he fit in a team where did you get the most out of Terry Jenks? And I agree with you. I think to begin with, I was a bit underwhelmed, even though you could kind of tell there was a, a good technical player there. You could see that he was comfortable on the ball and he could run with the ball quite well, but you were just like, I don't really know where he fits in. Scored, a, like you say, scored a really good goal at Livingston. I kind of feel that his confidence kind of dipped just at the same time that the confidence fell out of the entire team, um, which is not necessarily a surprise. Um, as a young lad trying to make his way, trying to make his way at a new club, et cetera, et cetera. I um, thought he actually did quite well at Tyne Castle away, as I recall as well, when he, I think he came on in the second half there. can't remember. Or was, did he start the game? Maybe started the game at Hearts, actually. I thought he did quite well in that match, which is quite a big atmosphere for a, a young lad to come on and play a uh, field in. Then kind of went missing for a while. Um, good goal at St. Johnson another week. and uh, I kind of felt he deserved an opportunity in the starting lineup today. today. Um, I was surprised he was the one that was hooked at half-time, uh, I've got to be honest. But you're right. He seems like a kid who's got his head screwed on as well to an extent and realizes that he kind of has to make the most of these types of moves. Otherwise his career with, with Brighton, et cetera, is not going to really lead to much.
2: Maybe worth mentioning that this is, you know, his first exposure to first team football. Mm -hmm. So we spoke with plenty of guys who tell you about what a marked difference it is going from playing, you know, young, under-20s, reserve football, whatever, straight into the first team. So there's an adjustment period to be expected there, I guess. You know, he's probably going from quite technically sound, uh, nice football to then having, yeah. I don't know, Murray Davidson smashing into you at every available opportunity. So you've got to allow for that time to to grow and to get used to the, the environment of playing first team football. But um, yeah, underwhelming start for sure. Um, but I think he's really growing into himself uh, his role at Aberdeen in the last couple of weeks and like I say I'm encouraged I hope that he stays for the next six months I know that Brighton have the choice to recall him but all being well I'm looking forward to seeing more of Teddy Jenks
0: yeah definitely so is he in the Tuzani the Tuzani pot for you
2: yeah pretty much um kind of feel he should play a bit more
0: yeah uh, I tend to agree with that uh, move on one of our other loanees this time Austin Samuels loaned in from Wolverhampton Wonders and with an option to buy for Aberdeen which is I think the only time I've ever heard us publicly announce we have such an option um, came in did okay in his first couple of games for Aberdeen his debut uh, etc I think it was Ross he was his debut wasn't it
2: that sounds about right
0: and basically I don't think he's really been seen since the home game against Celtic
2: I think he's made a sub appearance versus somebody. Let me look. Um, Because I remember people were just a little bit like, "Oh yeah, he is still here." Actually, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure you're gonna look that up for us now.
0: Oh, he came off the bench against. um, He came off the bench against Livingston and off the bench against Celtic. Celtic away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. Those two must be just like cameo appearances twenty five minutes at
0: Parkhead, uh, five minutes against Livingston, though.
2: You know what? File this under the weird signing category. <laughs> yeah. So I remember he was signed quite quickly after Mowbray got in the door, but you know, too quickly for Mowbray to probably have had any influence on the decision. Um, yeah. Signed around the same time as Watkins and the guy from Newcastle.
0: Maybe a touch earlier, but yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. But by the sense of it, he was someone that we'd had on our radar for some time. And you know, when we got him, the the word from the management was that we were very excited to have him a part of the team. Samuels and
0: Alan Russell have definitely worked together. There was talk about them having worked together. Maybe for England? Could have been through the England setup or maybe just even through Russell's um
2: superior striking um, <laughs> coaching business. <laughs> um We've talked about this plenty of times, you know, he's he's a number nine that, let's be honest, hasn't really scored goals anywhere. Yeah. Um. So we then bring him in, a less than perfect number nine, and we turn him into a winger. And it's just like frustrating, especially when you consider the interview we had with Glass and Gunn in the summer where, yeah. you know, they said that recruitment was going to be much more measured and calculated and we're not going to bring people in just for just for the sake of it, effectively. So to then go ahead and bring in this guy who's a number nine, turn him into a winger on our watch for what, our benefit or Wolves' benefit? Who knows? Um, And then, yeah, like our mate Bones pointed out to us one day that when he he plays, it's pretty much, you know, he gets the ball, his head goes down, he runs as fast as he can towards the byline and then he smashes it across the goal, usually out for a throw-in um yeah it's just it's it's one of those ones that's just very frustrating and as we sit here I mean we just watched the Dundee game if McGinn and McLennan are ahead of him then something's clearly not right either in the training ground or behind the scenes or whatever it is I mean we don't know but if he's not here and he's not gonna be playing any part of the team if he's not seen as someone that's part of the plans then yeah there's no benefit for him to be here, no benefit for us and no benefit for Wolves.
0: Austin Samuels, I would totally agree on that one. It seems a very odd signing. Again, I don't know if this is one of these that was a bit of a cheap punt. Like like I said earlier, I think Samuels and Alan Russell had worked together at some point. So whether there was a bit of a view of, this is guy's a bit rough around the edges, but we could turn him into something, hence the option to buy. But yeah, I mean, he obviously he's come in. He's clearly not ready to play as a number nine in our league absolutely not certainly not in a one by himself he has got pace to burn which is why i'm surprised we've not seen him in a number of games where you're getting into that final 30 20 minutes and you're maybe needing something to come on and spark you into life a little bit and you think about pace would be good against some of the kind of more clogger-esque tiring aged defenders in our league not happening you know there's i don't know maybe there's something in training he's not showing up, although obviously he's still in the squad, but clearly I don't think the the management team really think there's much there, and uh, I'd be surprised if he's kept beyond January, to be quite frank. It feels to me like it was a bit of squad filler stuff as well when he
2: came in. Yeah, and that's the annoying thing, because we were told that that wasn't going to happen anymore. Yeah. It's weird because for, he must have been in the team for like uh, maybe a month or so, and I feel like every game, Glass would be in the press afterwards saying how happy we were to have this option to buy him and then suddenly he's just been completely bombed out of the team yeah maybe it was just a punt but it's not worked out I was going to bring this up with them one of the other individuals that's on this list I can see in front of me but um people again maybe (laughs) we'll say that we're maybe not paying him much maybe we're not paying much towards his wages obviously Wolves carry carry most of that but we're not Man City. We can't afford to spend £100 million on a player that we don't really need. And yeah. every penny counts in our budget. So if he's not going to feature at all, if, if Conor McClennan and Niall McGuinn are ahead of him in the pecking order, Austin Simon also needs to go. And we need to, get, we need to get someone else who can actually make an impact on our team.
0: Yeah, nope, definitely agree. Not a Greg Wilde, clearly not. Step up above. It's kind of almost in the Jeffrey Monacana territory for me here.
2: Uh, Jeff Monacana, yeah, that's not unfair. Although he did make our worst 11.
0: He, Yeah, he did. I, don't, I, I didn't necessarily agree with that, but never mind. I don't
2: think Austin making a worst 11. So yeah, one level above Jack Kerr. Okay, fair enough.
0: Um, And then we kind of move on to, I guess, some of the signings that came in once our new head of recruitment had kind of come in the door. Now, whether he had a huge amount to do with these transfers is not necessarily clear because he was only in the door for, I don't even know if he was really properly actually announced in enough time to have influenced these. But David Bates, ex-Sevco, obviously, uh, had a spell at Hamburg, which didn't necessarily work out for him in the long run. Signed on a free transfer. Uh, Your thoughts on Big Red?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Big Red. Um, Very excited when we signed him. I think I've said before, like, we can joke, but... It's not the easiest thing in the world for a young player coming through that academy to make it into the Rangers first team. Even, I think they were probably in the championship when he got on the team, but still they would rather spend money on Sandaza or Kevin Kyle instead of playing a young player. So to make yeah. it into their first team and carry that through to the SPL shows he had something about him. Um, and again, like for all the joking and whatnot, players that come through, Rangers and Celtic they are kind of it's bred into them that anything apart from winning is not acceptable and I don't think that's a bad thing to have for a long time for a while he was chatted about as being like the long-term Scotland centre-back with Scott McKenna and yeah and like I said donkeys Hamburg are not going to look at Scotland and sign someone for no reason so he's clearly had something about him came in from what I can tell at Hamburg, he was just completely out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not even, like, I don't know if this example happened, but it sounds like he wasn't even allowed at the training ground. You know, just working by himself. And you could tell he wasn't fit, but he was thrown into matches immediately. And I yeah. think you could tell there was obviously a lack of confidence and a lack of fitness. Not even match fitness, just lack of fitness. As time's gone on, I think he's growing into the position really well. And I think we're starting to see he and McCrory form a really good partnership. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited about the way that he's developed and I think he is showing that he's a pretty class footballer and I'm very happy he's at Aberdeen.
0: Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree. Obviously, when he first came in in the first few weeks, I think a lot of us were really worried about kind of what we'd done in in taking David Bates in the door. And I guess, like you say, a lot of us probably weren't aware of how just how little football he'd actually kind of played and how far out of the picture he'd been at Hamburg and it was only really recently I think when he talked to one of the interviews about the fact that he basically had you know he hadn't had a pre-season or any of that so it took him quite a while to really really get going and I think that little run the Hibs Hearts the Hibs Rangers Hearts period was where it really looked like he was starting to really get to grips with first team football again and from that point he's kind of really grown and it's no secret it's, it's surely no coincidence that since that point we've been looked when when him and McCrory have been in the side, we've looked relatively relatively solid at the back. We don't look like we're going to concede too many goals. Um, Joe Lewis looks like he's got his confidence back as well, which probably helped by playing behind a settled two in front of him and starting to get to learn what they're like. The thing with Bates I do like is he's he's got an eye for a pass. He's not scared to play a brave passes out from the this, the centre defence, which you know they might cost us sometimes but that's what you that's what you're looking for in the kind of system we're playing all signs so far look pretty positive on this one and um yeah it looks like a good piece of business i think now and whether he's quite in the graham shinny category yeah is is the jury's probably still out on that one but certainly above the kareem tizani level i think i think we've definitely got a a bit of a player here
2: yeah certainly um somewhere between tizani and a shinny very happy Uh, i think we've got a real player here and I'm very glad he's here and not elsewhere in the SPL.
0: Yeah, between him and McCrory, you've got them both signed up on long-term deals, so there's potentially a 2nd half pairing for the, for, for the foreseeable future in there. Moving on, I don't think he signed on the same day, did he? But it felt like it was around about the same sort of time. Marley Watkins returned for his second spell at Aberdeen, but this time on a permanent deal after being released by... It was Cardiff, wasn't He was at Cardiff like a month at the start of the season.
2: He was on a short-term deal with Cardiff, yeah.
0: Yeah, so Marley Watkins, Gavin.
2: Well, I think we should take some credit for his uh, getting his contract because we put <coughs> we put a poll out to the universe, with, with to us. the Twitter universe, and they answered with a resounding voice that they wanted to see Miley Watkins back at Petardry, and then next thing you know, two-year contract. Um, very glad that he's back here. Um, I think he brings a lot of quality. I really liked him in his first spell, and it's been good to see why he's brought to the team. Uh, now that he's here on a permanent contract. But a little bit off the boil lately, which is surprising given that it's, you know, after scoring two really good goals and playing well against Samaritan. But, um, you know, that's by the by. Hopefully the injury today is not too severe and he could be back to play against Rangers uh, in, the, in the first fixture back from the winter break. Um, yeah, not much to say about Riley Watkins other than, yeah, very glad that he's here. Likewise with David Bates, I think he could be a real danger If he was elsewhere, so yeah, glad he's here
0: Yeah, I think on the whole I'm pretty happy that Marley Watkins Is back at Aberdeen, I think that when he's On it, and this is part of the issue When he's on it, he's really on it And he's a very, very, very good footballer When he's off it, it's not great In the last few matches, he's been a bit off it And you saw the chance At Hibs on Wednesday night And before that, there was The chance he had at St. John's where he got played Through, and you kind of Topoke sclaffed it it looked like a player who was a little bit with without the confidence there lacking a little bit of confidence yeah and
2: like. like I say that's surprising because that's coming after scoring you know the double against Simran
0: yeah exactly I don't know he seems like a bit of a he's almost like a bit of an enigma kind of player as well I think from that perspective I think when like I say when he's on it he's great absolutely fantastic when he's off it he's kind of a bit honking to be honest and this afternoon wasn't great against Dundee I think he I think he vibes off the rest of the team.
2: I think so. I think if anyone listening that hasn't picked up on it yet, we as a collective three have a bit of a soft spot for Norwich City. And he was at Norwich for a very short space of time. He was, yeah. Uh so you can you can tell that he's kind of got a level that he can, you know, reach. A little yeah. bit like Carrie, you know, he can he can raise his level, but he can't keep that level yes. at a consistent yeah. basis. Yeah. But for the SPL, I think he's a very useful player to have. A very useful player. The weight, the strength, and ability he has with the ball at his feet. Maybe not even the ability, but he's just he just got he's got this knack of running and carrying the ball without really doing much. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like he's got a, a, a trick or a yeah. He's not particularly quick.
2: He's just quite strong and yeah, um, just has this ability to run with the ball, and it's very useful for for ourselves to have.
0: Like I said, I just feel that like Watkins Watkins plays well when the rest of the team is playing well. I feel like he's like I hate using it, but I feel like he really vibes off of what the rest of the team are doing. And if the team are flat, I feel like Watkins is flat.
2: And the unfortunate thing there is that his best football is probably coming when Hedges plays his best football.
0: Yeah, which gets me back to this idea about like our front four, they're either all firing all at the same time or they're all off of it at the same time. They're never like that combination of summer on and summer off, and therefore you kind of just get through things. I was pleased to see we got him back Because I thought that he was very very good Here um, last season And it was unfortunate that the injury kind of robbed us Of seeing what he could do for the rest of the campaign I mean ultimately probably Realistically the injuries to To Watkins To Cosgrove Being sold uh, Wright was obviously injured for a little bit as well And then obviously he, he you know Did what he did Ultimately that probably meant that Bennett McInnes left Aberdeen Six months earlier than he was intending to Realistically,
2: bear in mind, Curtis Main left as well.
0: Oh, yeah, how could I forget about that? Um, you know, so I was really pleased to see him come back to Aberdeen, really pleased to see what he could do on the whole. I think he's offered us a lot, but I just think that we need just to get back again. (laughs) Watkins has played his best football for Aberdeen since he's returned when he played as a two with Ramirez when we went to the three at the back. And I kind of feel as well that Watkins, I think if he's left out on the wide in, in one of the flanks. I don't think he can do his best work there. I think he could do his best work a bit closer to a to a main striker.
2: Yeah, that's that's probably not unfair.
0: But on the whole, more of a hit than a miss, I would suggest.
2: Absolutely. Uh, much like Bates, I'd have him slap bang in the middle between Tuzani and Graham Shinnie.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. And then we move on to I guess the last two. Um, I said this guy was a new signing. It's not really accurate. He wasn't a new signing, but he was given a six month deal in the summer in order to try and make his way back from injury and see what he could do. Rumours abound that we're going to offer him another six months in January because in that first six months, we've not seen what he can do because he's still not recovered from injury. It's Mikey Devlin. And I'm kind of looking forward to this, Gav, because you have a a strong opinion on this, chapman, shall we
2: say? I've already said all I have to say about Michael Devlin last week. And I'll simply go back to my appointment. Austin Samuels. He might be on peanuts, but he's clearly making enough to sustain a lifestyle. And in our budget, every penny counts. So you know, to quote Glenn from the Red Tinted tinted Glasses podcast, "Are we a football club or are we a care home?" I think it's unfair. Do we just want to appear as though that we're a very nice football club and we'll take care of you? Uh, and you know what I'm saying, that I think we've been very, very good to Michael Devlin.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I tend to agree. I mean I I would really like to see if, if I would really like to see Michael Devlin come back to some level of um professional football in the top flight, whether that's with Aberdeen or whether that's with somebody else, the guy's run of luck with injuries has been absolutely horrendous. And he was a very, very promising central defender when he came through at hamilton that's why we took him in despite the fact he was recovering from a serious injury and signed him on a pre-contract and and helped him go, go through his final rehab for that he is a scotland international now whether that's because there were significant injury issues at the time or not at the end of the day steve clark who's a guy who knows a thing or two about defending decided out of the people he had available he would give devlin a run at it fair enough I would love to see Michael Devon be able to come back. I know that Gav, you're know, away, check it, see if Steve Clark was the guy that gave him caps. I can see he did it right now. I'm pretty sure he did because he got, he got one of his caps in that hammering in Russia, didn't he? I'm pretty certain. He
2: made his debut in Euro 2020 qualifier against Russia.
0: Yeah, that was Steve Clark. Um, but you're right. We're not a charity. We're not a care home. We've probably done as much as we can do for Michael Devon, I would suggest. Now, unless he, I, I don't know. Maybe he's really good to have about the place. I don't get it. But then again, we're we're a football club. We're not a we're not we're not a comedy club. Although
2: sometimes it fucking seems like it. Go back to my original point that, you know, if if we go on the suggested time frame of his recovery and that he can be back, possibly training or available selection in the spring, which I think is what they said. Yeah. He's behind McCrory in the pecking order. He's behind Bates. Probably behind Gallagher yeah. still, uh, then you factor in Constantine. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the reward isn't worth the time.
0: And maybe even behind Jack McKenzie, who's shown he could maybe play it second yeah, half. And maybe even to. Scott Brown. And Scott Brown as well. You know, he's quite far down the pecking order. So unless he comes, uh, miraculously comes back in his second incarnation of Paolo Maldini, I'm just not entirely sure what we're necessarily thinking we're going to get out of this. So. Well,
2: we've talked with maybe the most unlucky player to come through our doors in Tommy Hoban yeah definitely and as Tommy put it you know when you're a footballer you are a commodity to the club and you need to prove your worth and as far as I'm concerned Michael Devlin has not proved his worth
0: no I don't think it's fair to rank Devlin on the scale here from like the kind of because he's not really a new signing so I'm going to move on from that one and um, he said horrendous horrendous luck with injury so I, I don't want kind of, do I'll file
2: on. him under Gary Woods
0: okay fair enough and last <laughs> 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 By no means least. Um, (laughs) Oh, no, he is the least. Signed on loan from Newcastle United for uh, season number 44, Matty Longstaff.
2: And I do believe it's been announced today that he has been officially recalled to Newcastle. He has been. And I can't decide if Stephen
0: Glass is taking the fucking piss about this when he left, suggesting that he's been injured for the last two or three weeks, apparently. So that's why he's not been around. Um, but Newcastle have decided that they wanted to take the option because they've got a new manager and they might want to see what he's about.
2: So it's got nothing to do with Glass throwing him under the bus in a press conference, huh?
0: I mean, (laughs) Stephen Glass seems to think that Newcastle might want to have a punt at putting Matty Longstaff into their first 11 to try and avoid relegation from um, the top flight in England. I I would be astonished to see if that was the case.
2: Um, Well, I I mean, go back to my catchphrase, good luck with that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, a guy who came in, I think, with all the hype under the sun. I think a lot of us probably had misguided, as it turns out. High hopes for this guy. He'd obviously played for Newcastle United in the top flight in England. Had scored, had he scored two goals against Manchester United?
2: I think Andy said that. I think he's definitely scored one.
0: I know that. He definitely scored one. Yeah, I know that. But Highly rated, allegedly. (sighs) I, I honestly think one of the worst footballers I've ever seen play for Aberdeen Football Club.
2: Definitely the worst signing of the summer. Maybe one of the worst signings of the summer all around in Scottish football. I don't know what there's to say. It's just, He's just been dreadful. Now, I think, would you agree with me that he's pro- he was probably signed under the assumption that Lewis Ferguson was leaving? Yes. Because I don't think he would have been signed if we were, it was a cast-iron guarantee that Ferguson was staying.
0: No, absolutely not. We There's so many midfielders anyway.
2: So let's just like paint a picture like create like a hypothetical scenario let's imagine that Watford came in for with four million for Lewis Ferguson we said yep fair enough Lewis on you go good luck can you imagine if Matty not played every game this season yeah I know I mean well hey
0: I put it this way I think if that had happened Dylan McGee would have been the guy that filled in for Ferguson but yeah Jesus I mean I've never seen before a player who just I'm not saying well that's maybe not true Chidi Nkwali is the closest I can think of for a guy who just looks terrified to be on the ball.
2: Again, Chidi's a little bit different because Chidi had no prior experience of even English footballers. Matty Longstaff had played first team football for Newcastle.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. But I'm just talking about in terms of a guy who just looks so terrified about being put on the ball, which for a ball playing center midfield is a big fucking problem.
2: It's harsh maybe in a way, but I'll bring it back to James Madison, who was the absolute opposite. James Madison wanted to be on the ball all the time, no matter how much he got hit. Yes. yes. Always looking for it. Yeah. Matty Longstaff, a guy that's played Premier League football, Premier League football, sorry. And yeah, just every time he gets the ball and someone runs towards him, it's like he just wants it as far away from him as he possibly can be. We've we've talked ad nauseum, both on here, both on Twitter. Matty Longstaff, atrocious.
0: Yeah, well, he's gone. He's gone as of today. Apparently, Newcastle have decided to take him back uh, so long and farewell.
2: He has been spared. Spared from just how bad the Farmers League is.
0: Well, that's the thing. that I think the only thing that's been worse than Matty long- watching Matty Longstaff play is watching Newcastle United fans try to tell you that the Scottish Premier League is just too bad that it was too much of a farmer's league for Matty Longstaff. It's just mind-bending gymnastics. Uh, I mean, just horse shit, absolute horse shit. I don't know how much we were paying towards his wages. Hopefully, it wasn't. A, hopefully, it wasn't a particularly substantial amount. But if it was, then hopefully that at the very least has feed up a decent amount of um, budget for January to go and get an actual fucking midfield that can passable.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I get that maybe we thought that. Ferguson was going so we had this guy on the on our radar we couldn't afford to take the chance that he might take an option elsewhere so maybe we thought let's get him in yeah we
0: don't know the ins and outs of that
2: it's been a poor piece of recruitment all around yeah. and yeah i mean and those twitter discussions are the reason he's probably going to go into the category he's going to go into
0: he is absolutely
2: so sorry man you're kind of going in by proxy but hey it's how it is
0: and just for the points of that gaff what category are you putting him into Greg Wild Yeah, he's into Greg Wild He lacks the arse holery of Greg Wild But Greg Wild at least
2: scored a goal for Aberdeen Football Club So, And enough Newcastle fans on Twitter have made up for that arse holery So there we go
0: Completely agree So there might even be a new category here Which would be Matty, Matty Longstaff So let's just recap on that then um, I think we have, by my accounts, so I make that one, two, three f- I make that four hits One, two, three Four, five, six misses and two maybes on that list. It's
2: so we've got a what's that a a one third success success rate?
0: Yeah, about a one third success rate, uh, about a sixty six percent fail rate. And yeah, well no, not quite. Probably less than that. Sorry.
2: Well, fifty percent, fifty percent fail rate, and uh, yeah, one sixth were on the fence.
0: Yeah, which to be fair, actually, is probably about par for the course when it comes to recruitment, generally speaking
2: yeah maybe
0: but yeah it leads us to an interesting i guess dilemma come the january window but what we do with some of these guys when they try to get moved on etc etc and we'll look into that i think next week on the show yeah absolutely so that wraps up this week's episode of the abz football podcast thanks for joining us and please remember to like subscribe follow or whatever on your podcast player of choice join us next week for episode 25 the quarter century where we will continue our mid-season review by looking back over the first set of games of the campaign and we'll examine which areas of the squad require attention in the January window. We'll have our usual look at our loanees and loan watch before we round things off with the latest in our line of exclusive in-depth interviews with Don's personalities of past and present as we interview a man who arrived in 2013 going on to make 104 appearances for the club and who played his part in ending our long, long wait for silverware 19 years, 120 minutes, and then fucking penalties, of course. It's Willow Flood. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.